As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Perfect time to speak to Laura Rahm. She's Chief U.S. Economist at FS Investments. Today's phrase, Laura, is crisis tool. Europe is in search of a crisis tool. What does the acclaimed Rahm inflation crisis tool look like? I think that the crisis tool is clearly just trying to reclaim some credibility. And, you know, we've talked about being behind the curve. These central banks just have to try to... Uh, you know, assert control and just calm markets. It's I don't think it's even uh, frustration with some of the air getting let out of financial conditions, but they want to try to calm markets that they are on top of managing inflation and managing policy. And I think that is what has been so difficult. And that's why we're seeing central banks around the globe uh, really, that's what they struggle with. Laura, is 75 basis points enough to get the job done? I think that the Fed, I, I think it's a step in the right direction because for the Fed, it's just, you know, I think giving that impression that they are on it, they're depend, they're data dependent. I think that they have suffered from this idea that they're going to wait several meetings to see how things flush out. That is gone. Um, so there's a proactivity there. But I do think that we are, as we get data that is already starting to roll over in several categories, the possibility that they are going to have to um, you know, really tighten into the face of weakening demand. And that, I think, is going to not help them at all. Well, uh, this is interesting because it's sort of the opposite of what Mike McKee and other people have been saying, which is it may help the Fed to see a cooling in the economic data because it indicates that perhaps not at this meeting or next meeting, but at the end of this year, they'll be looking at inflation trends that are more in their favor. What's your pushback to that narrative? So, you know, the issue is that Fed rate hikes just take a really long time to impact the economy. And I think the when you think about demand destruction and where inflation is really coming from, it's shifted to now coming not from, uh, you know, auto prices, but really coming from rents, areas in the economy which are much more uh, sticky. And for that reason, you know, you really need to get and, you know, housing to not only roll over, but house prices to moderate more significantly. These are changes that don't happen overnight. And they're changes that really come with 
um, you know, a wider implication for growth. So we've already got household sentiment under pressure. We've already uh, seen households be impacted by inflation very negatively. The demand destruction is already here. Well, what's the math here, Laura? If we get a 75 beat move, a three quarters of a percentage point move, does the 30 year mortgage go up three quarters of a percentage point? It's actually mortgage rates have gone up more than the long end has risen. So, you know, yeah, I think we continue to see um, mortgage rates go higher. We've already seen, you know, the housing market cool down. I think what we really are talking about is, you know, the labor, the connection between the economy to the labor market and the fact that there's a reason the Fed has trouble micromanaging demand. You know, they are a broadsword. They're not a scalpel. So for that reason, I think there's just more. This is the tip of the iceberg when you look at um, demand cooling. And I think you could argue that demand right now isn't even really cooling because of Fed rate hikes. It's cooling because of inflation. So you look at the rate hikes they're making right now, that's going to impact the economy in several quarters. So they're they're really tightening aggressively into an economy that's already slowing. So what will the confused rhetoric be of this central bank after the press conference today? We've covered confusion in ECB today like truly we've never seen. Are we going to be as confused? I, I don't think so, because I don't think they're going to change their um, statement very much. I do think that in the press conference, Powell is going to continue to sound very optimistic about the Fed's ability to create a soft landing. Um, But I think he wants to really strike a very serious tone on the inflation front. I think it'll be interesting to see how, you know, if we get another month of an upside surprise of inflation, what this means for the July meeting. You know, these are things that I think, you know, just how sensitive to month to month data they're going to be. Because, you know, the real, I think now piece that we're waiting for is to see how the employment market responds. That to me is really going to make or break how aggressive the Fed can be. And markets have, you know, priced up the whole curve. They're now expecting the Fed to raise rates to 4% by the beginning of 2023. Laura Rain, thank you of FS Investments, looking ahead to the Federal Reserve. I haven't seen many people downgrade their earnings estimates. Here's one right now. Binky Chatter, the Chief Global Strategist and Head of Asset Allocation at Deutsche Bank. Binky, great to catch up. The team at Deutsche Bank, first out the gate to say recession at the end of next year. Talk to me about why you're downgrading your earnings story and why you haven't cut your outlook for the S&P just yet in a big way. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, what I would say first is that, you know, I think it's important to keep in mind the house call remains for a recession, you know, at the end of next year, but not near term. Uh, you know, I think the word that everybody is uh, talking about is fluid. So things remain pretty fluid. Uh, and, and most of our downgrade to earnings is about next year, building in that uh, slowing in growth and recession later next year. I think the bigger issue for the equity market on earnings, of course, is, uh, you know, what the bottom up consensus is doing and what basically it is building in. And what I would argue is that basically, you know, the bottom up consensus has 10% earnings growth for this year, 10% earnings growth for next year. 
on the face of it, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. 10% right. earnings growth is actually the average earnings okay, growth outside of recessions. Within the sum of this, and Fulkerts Landau and your team, Lozetti with us this afternoon, folks, has just been, you guys have been just absolutely lights out on engaging the conversation. Engage this. Mm-hmm. Does profit matter? And when you look at earnings shortfalls, can you partition companies that are going to still make the bacon from those that are really challenged? Uh, yeah, but what the market, you know, uh, really reacts to. So if you just overlay upgrades, downgrades, or the change in forward estimates in the S&P 500, you'll see these pretty tight fit, not over the last couple of months where the market's, you know, way lower. Uh, and, and and so earnings estimates do matter. Keep in mind that, uh, you know, every earnings season, the S&P 500, you know, beats on earnings by about 5%. So it's, you know, not something that the market reacts to in a big way, but, you know, persistent period of sort of downgrades is going to be an overhang for the market. And what I would say about the bottom-up consensus is, while the headline numbers, you know, look okay for mid-cycle or early cycle, uh, it, it, they do not look right for late cycle, where our house view, the consensus of economists is for growth to slow. And as growth slows next year, you know, earnings will come down. So- um, and in addition, we have, you know, sort of uh, the, the, the pandemic hangover, as I would call it, built into consensus estimates mm-hmm. for mega cap growth in tech, you know, which got boosted by the pandemic. And the consensus has them rising with trend, even though they are currently 20% above trend levels. Uh, and staying there would be hard. I'm struggling here with mm-hmm. this idea that we're going to get earnings downgrades. We're seeing the end of free money. We're seeing real yields on the 10-year go up to 0.8% after having been deeply negative just three months ago. Mm-hmm. And all of this is going to somehow end the S&P at a 47.50 at the end of the year. What gets us there? Yeah. So I, I, I think the key question is basically, are we going to go into a recession? You know, I, I, We've been uh, arguing for some time that the outlook looks pretty binary. We would get down to about 36.50. We are kind of almost there already. And then it looks pretty binary whether we go into a recession or we don't. Recessions are pretty nonlinear events is the way I would talk about would think about them. Uh, it is not about uh, temporarily negative growth. It's really about corporates becoming risk averse. Not great, you know, signs yet, but you take a look at uh, CEO confidence. Um, it's down. Uh, 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 I think the consumer confidence so, numbers get more, you know, sort of uh, attention, but uh, corporate CEO confidence down too. Just real quick here then, what's your bear case? My bear case is uh, if we go into a recession, we have a target of 3,000, which would basically be in the upper range of uh, typical recession drawbacks uh, 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 or pullbacks. you know, a recession declines uh, in hindsight uh, were extremely well explained basically by initial valuations and uh, the severity of the recession. So if you use, you know, a typical recession, you know, year on year quarterly decline in earnings of 2021% and where we were uh, valued initially before uh, uh, the pullback began, you know, you're talking about 35 to 40%, which would take us to basically 3,000 from the peak. So, Pinky, just to be clear, if Matt Lizetti's right, it's 3K on the S&P? 
uh, no, if Matt Lucetti is right, uh, that there is no recession uh, right now, and uh, 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 that issue gets uh, resolved in the markets, and the market starts to price that out, right. then we get uh, 47.50 by year end. Um, if uh, uh, we do slide into a recession, we, we are talking about uh, 3,000 on the S&P. Typical recession, assuming it starts now, is about 11 months, so you would get a bottom 3,000 around November. And, you know, you would get to 47.50 by May of next year since the market typically starts to, you know, uh, uh, st- bottoms basically halfway through. You know? OK, good to clear that up. Thank you. Thank you. Biggie Chatter at Deutsche Bank, still very, very constructive <clears throat> on this equity market. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Peter Cheers joins us right now, head of macro strategy and making it up as you go at Academy uh, Securities as well. Peter, not a snarky question, but a serious one. Is the bond market right now the central banker of the United States of America? Yeah, I think the bond market's really in control of things. And I'm increasingly nervous that the lack of liquidity in the bond market is letting us move too far too quickly. And unless we kind of tame inflation, get some of this under control, I think we're at a real risk of much higher yields, especially with what's going on in Europe, right? The Italian and Spanish yields are leading the way there, but that's dragging global yields around too. Does it happen quickly or does it happen all at once, right? I mean, we've seen a real quick repricing, but do we see something that is a gap higher that gets the Fed's attention that is driven by low liquidity and a sense of uncertainty around both Fed policy and how high yields could go? Yeah, I would not be surprised if we get one of those crazy days where you get a two or three point move in the long bond largely due to a lack of liquidity and positioning. I'm not sure which direction it would go. I would have thought a month ago it was going to be a gap to lower yields. Now it feels like if we get a gap, it's going to be a dislocation and a you know air pocket move to a much higher yield. 
will probably be temporary, but it will disrupt markets. We haven't talked about Bitcoin very much in this show, Peter, and it's by design. It's something that we don't normally cover, yet the losses have been shocking. And you made a point yesterday, Peter, that really struck me, that there is a systemic import to the losses in the cryptocurrency complex, that it feeds into the larger market in a way that perhaps some people are not expecting. Do you still think that that's the case, that it could be a systemic risk, both economically and on a market basis? Yeah, and I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think there's kind of two main groups of crypto investors. There are the relatively small, aggressive people who I think may get wiped out. I think they were using a lot of margin. That will have some impact on the economy, but I don't think a huge one. The other part is very wealthy people who tended to, I think, view cryptocurrencies as a core part of their asset classes or their asset allocation. They also tended to invest heavily in disruptive stocks, and then they use some of the big tech almost as their equivalent of a bank account. So I think they were very aggressively positioned, and that's getting unwound right now. So I think there's going to be a potential for a huge wealth effect. And as you start looking at the amount of spending that was going on in advertising for crypto, the number of conferences, the number of jobs that were created, the number of semiconductors that were bought to support crypto, if the slowdown is real, and I think it is, I think we're going to hit maybe even 10,000 on Bitcoin you could see a knock-on effect into the economy that we would not have thought about two or three years Why? ago. Why am I going to see a knock-on effect into the economy, Peter? Because I think this wealth creation has hit stocks, disruptive stocks in particular, big tech. There's less money. These people were spending money. You're going to see a cut down on conferences. You're going to see less spending on the rigs that are required to make, you know, do the mining. The one offshoot of this that might be good for us is lower energy costs as crypto stock you know, becomes less of a drain on energy. But I, I think we're going to be surprised how impactful crypto is, especially to the New York area and the California area, right. where the amount of money lost is painful. I, I mean, the accounting of this, Peter, I, I find extraordinary. If we go from 21,000 down to a Peter Cheer 10,000, or from 60-whatever thousand down to 10,000, I mean, that signals the collapse of the scheme, doesn't it? I think to a large degree, yes. And you know, I think the prior guest you mentioned had um, highlighted, oh, we're only down a couple of weeks. The reality is no one who's bought crypto in the last two years and held on to it is now up money. Yeah, so this is, almost all the yeah I don't mean to interrupt, but folks, this is important because I got a lot of shade yesterday on David Rubenstein's comments. Lisa, jump in here because uh, you, you were part of that. Mr. Rubenstein made clear original founders of Bitcoin still are in a profit point. And Mr. Cheers saying, yeah, but in the last number of years, that's not true. People here have huge losses. Well, Bitcoin is emblematic of the withdrawal of free money. And we are seeing the end of a regime, Peter, and it will be exemplified by what we hear today at 2.30 p.m. from Fed Chair Jay Powell. What do you think that he could do to create some calm, a greater backdrop of certainty to a market that has had anything but? I think he's going to try and shock the system. I now think he's going to give us 75 bips. I think the market will probably react well to that initially on the view that, okay, they're going to try and get ahead of this inflation. And then I think over the course of the next couple of days, the sad reality will sink in is we are going to deal with much higher short-term rates. That's going to you know, slow down the economy. And just briefly back to Bitcoin, I think one thing that's also important is we're starting to see the system gum up, right? You had Celsius kind of block withdrawals. You had Luna Terra had these problems. So you've had this kind of collection of networks that all kind of work together. I think people are really going to question that. And if you go back to when Lehman collapsed, right, we talked about the Lehman moment. It was never a moment. It was just part of a process. And I think the gumming up of the system is going to create a lack of trust. And a lot of people who are sitting out there 20,000, yeah, maybe they bought at 5,000. 
but better to get out at 20 than 10. So I think that's the problem there. And I do think the Fed's message of fighting inflation today will push crypto lower as well. Pete, you're one of the best. I love hearing from you. Just wonderful to catch up. Peter Cheer there of Academy, breaking things down for us. Let's get to Dominic Constant, shall we? The head of macro strategy at Mizuho Americas. Dominic, straight to you. And let's start with the Federal Reserve. What are you looking for a little bit later? Well, we're looking for the Fed to be very hawkish, which means uh, they'll probably do the 75 uh, and then basically guarantee a very quick move to neutral. Uh, they could do more than 75. I mean, that would possibly make more sense. If they do do 50, which seems unlikely now, they'd have to go out of their way to convince the market that they were uh, uh, accelerating uh, rate hikes uh, and against that neutral rate. Dominic, you parse a distinction between unlikely and unnecessary. Is a 75 beat move unlikely or unnecessary? No, I think I think at this stage now, given the market reaction, particularly for the long end, uh, it's absolutely necessary uh, to, to, to move uh, to 75. The problem they've got is that even if uh, their forecast is correct, that there's some kind of soft landing out there and that inflation can come down uh, without too much damage to growth, the market is tightening financial conditions for them uh, too aggressively, uh, both in Europe and, and, and in the US. And that's a problem. They have to stabilize the long end. Uh, so unfortunately, it's a different uh, game plan for what they had envisaged. Uh, stabilize the long end uh, will help them perhaps avoid a hard landing. Otherwise, uh, we've got bigger problems ahead of us. Dom, what's the bigger risk uh, scenario for markets right now, that the Fed is overly hawkish or overly dovish in this meeting versus market expectations? Uh, no, I would say the biggest risk is if they try and push back. I mean, uh, Powell kind of took 75 off the table last time. Uh, if they try and stick to their guns and, uh, if you like, do a do a BOJ, <laughs> trying to sort of uh, draw a line in the sand and saying we're not going to get pushed around, uh, they're going to get into a very sticky situation because they're not like the BOJ. They obviously don't have that kind of commitment. Uh, and on that basis, uh, I would think uh, both uh, bonds and equities would sell off hard uh, if the Fed uh, is too dovish. Uh, if they do do 50 and they don't convince us uh, that they're going to uh, have super acceleration uh, to neutral. There's another problem that people are also uh, beginning to focus on is that their measure of neutral may just be too low. No one really knows where neutral is. Uh, and uh, uh, it's not a question of, of them going to neutral and then question mark how restrictive they might then have to become. Uh, the people will start to ask the question, uh, maybe inflation is too sticky for too long and neutral is up right. at uh, three or three and a half. Dominic, as you know, the mother of all textbooks in the United Kingdom is the Beg, John Begg, uh, in his magisterial one volume first economics textbook. All of this is not in bag. We're in original territory and we're all starving for levels. What is the level of yen where this unfolds? When dollar yen gets to such and such weakness, where do the pieces begin to fall apart? Well, I think specifically for Japan, the issue is uh, wage inflation that drives price inflation. And in a funny way, it's a similar issue across uh, uh, the, the main economies. Uh, the inflation we've got is a very bad inflation. Wages, uh, they may be going up, but they're barely keeping pace with inflation. Uh, and so therefore, uh, Japan is in the same situation. Uh, they, they're not going to react to imported inflation uh, unless wages are going up. So dollar yen uh, uh, needs to, if you like, uh, uh, can keep on going down, uh, and it may not actually uh, affect 
affect at least Corroda's view on what should, they should do for YCC. Sure, they're going to try and push back on it. Uh, we don't think intervention is really necessarily going to work. Uh, it's more about stabilizing the global bond yields, and that will make the BOJ's uh, life a lot easier. Uh, if you can stabilize 10-year yields, there's a limit to how far a dollar yen will, will a 10-year US yields, there's a limit to how far dollar yen uh, will go down. Uh, and that will, uh, uh, for them at least, maybe cap some of this imported inflation. Uh, but uh, if, unless you can get to wages, I don't think uh, 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 the, the Japanese are going to really start to uh, ditch YCC uh, or, uh, or, or obviously try and have any kind of normalization of policy. Adam, I just want to finish here on the Federal Reserve, and it's a markets question. A lot of people, and you've heard this conversation too, wondering if they should just come out today and go bigger than 75, get it done, get back to neutral, go big. Would that restore confidence in this market or would it scare this market? I'm trying to understand the tipping point between hawkish enough and too hawkish. Uh, I think it will restore confidence in the back end, to be honest. I think uh, you will rally the long end uh, if you go big uh, and just get to neutral. Uh, I don't think the equity market will initially react very well. Um, but uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, there is a requirement for a massive reallocation out of equities into debt. And, the level, and, and that normally happens when debt yields are stabilizing, if not rallying. So we have to get to that. And it's sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we see no light at the end of the tunnel until the back end of the of bond market stabilizes. When you see that light, then you can begin to see a, a way in which risk assets can also stabilize. That will come later. But right now, you're in this void. Uh, you, you, you don't know where this tunnel ends. There's no light. And that's why they, in going big would, wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, but you know, going 75 and committing to another 75 will, will, will sort of almost get you there, uh, I would think. Hey, Dom, thank you. Thank you very much. Dom Constant there of Mizuho Americas. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.